someone cutting onions in here? Oh, happy Father's Day. <laughs> Come to church. It's going to be a great morning, and we're just going to pound you with tears. And, you know, it's such a Father's Day. I know it's a Father's Day because I walked into the room this morning, and it was freezing, and I went over to the thermostat, and somebody had it down at 16 degrees. And so I know it's Father's Day because only a father would do that, right? Well, happy Father's Day. It's hard to believe, but do you know that today marks the one-year anniversary? This Sunday, uh, we had our first in-person gathering since the beginning of the pandemic. This is the first Sunday of what's been a long year, a year, a great year in many ways, but a difficult year. But it's a year, nonetheless, that I know I'll never forget. I'm sure you'll never forget. Uh, But after one year, you know, we've had enough data and sort of watching trends to kind of grasp how churches across North America have been faring, how they've been doing, and like everyone else navigating the constant changes and and things like that. And I want to share a bit about how churches have been doing. And so I have good news and bad news for you. Which one do you want first? The good news. <laughs> the good news. Let's start with the good news. We had enough. Here's the good news. Churches have adapted far better than anyone expected that they would. I mean, who knew that Jesus promised that, you know, the church would continue growing and expanding and nothing would stop it? I mean, who knew? But churches have adapted better than expected. Attendance has stabilized. Giving has continued in some cases, which is the case here, has even increased to God be the glory. Ministries have found creative and new ways to minister to one another. Uh, I mean, just shout out to Pastor Karen and the Life Kids ministry. You know, who would have thought that we our kids would be out of church for for such a long time, have their kids' church, but we found ways to minister. But So that's the good news. Here's the bad news. And there is one place and only one place that churches across North America have seen a dramatic, and I mean emphasize, a dramatic decline since the beginning of the pandemic. Does anyone want to take a guess? When I heard this, I mean, it jumped out on the page at me. It totally made sense because we're experiencing it here. And that is the one place where churches have seen a decline is in First-time visitors and water baptisms. Visitors and water baptisms. What does that mean? It means that those who have questions about the faith, who are searching for God, searching for answers, haven't been looking to the church to help them find the answers to their questions. Not that they're not there, you know, many have engaged online, but we believe, you know, online church, while we're so grateful for the technology that is given and afforded to us, it's sort of kind of like online dating. I have never had any experience with online dating, praise the Lord. But I imagine that anyone who's engaged in online dating relationship, while it begins online, you know, you hopefully at some point, it doesn't end online, right? At some point, you want to sort of take the relationship offline and begin to meet in person. And, and so if people aren't coming to the church with their questions, with their, with their searching uh, for, for answers, consequentially, very few are, as a result, getting baptized in water, publicly declaring their faith before uh, in Jesus Christ. Why do I share all this with you? Well, what, what is the meaning of all this? I share this with you today because It's worth celebrating all that God has done in his church these past 15 months. 
But I also share this because I believe that we have come to a very pivotal moment. A moment that we, the church, as we begin looking forward to be reminded of our mission. And that mission is, is that the church, we don't exist for ourselves. And neither does the world exist to serve the church. But instead, the church exists to glorify God and to bear witness to Jesus Christ. To glorify God and bear witness to Jesus Christ. Our mission is to reach the world for Christ. Not to just give back to the way things were, but to reach the world for Christ. And so this Father's Day, I felt it would be so appropriate to be reminded today of the Father's heart towards the lost. How he cares for the weary how he loves those without answers, how he's always searching and yearning and chasing after those who have walked away from him. Mark chapter 2, 16 to 17 says, says it this way. When the scribes, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with these people, that these people, they asked his disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus told them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Why did Jesus come to call sinners? The answer is because even the most lost and rebellious person is still one of God's children. And he is still their father. And being that it's Father's Day and knowing that a good father will do anything it takes, anything at all for his children, we can be sure that no matter what the trends and data say for this cultural moment, God is going to do whatever it takes to see lost children come home. And he is searching, he is asking, he is longing for those who would be willing to join him on this holy pursuit. And that is the very essence of what we're going to look at this morning, one of Jesus' most well-known parables, the parable of the prodigal son, just as was portrayed in the film. And it's why I've titled this message this Father's Day, The Prodigal Son in 2021. Why do I title that? Because A, it rhymes, and B... Because I believe that right now in 2021, God is preparing his church to open their arms in ways they've never done before. That in 2021, the less and less likely people are to come to the church or run to the church for answers, the more and more likely it is that the duty of the church, we need to run to them in order to help them come home to the Father. The parable of the prodigal son has always been one of my favorite stories of Jesus, maybe yours as well. You know, all of the gospel is there. All of my story is there. Maybe all of your story is there too. Most importantly, all of who God is is there. But as beautiful and moving as this story is, what if I told you that Jesus isn't telling this story to those who are moved to tears by the Father's grace, but instead he has another audience in mind? That is, Jesus was speaking this parable to those who really didn't care that the sick were in need of a doctor. That they found the idea of a father, especially in an ancient Near East culture where patriarchal figures don't run anywhere. Children run, women ran, but fathers did not run anywhere. But this father, he runs. And they found that idea of a father running towards rebellious children to be scandalous and offensive. What if I told you today that this parable, the prodigal son, is not so much for the outsiders of the faith as it is for the insiders, insiders like you and insiders like me? 
And while given the title, the parable of the, of the prodigal son, it is not so much a story about one lost son as it is two lost sons. In fact, Jesus begins the parable by saying in Luke chapter 15, 11, that there was a man who had two sons. By conventional moral standards, you, you have one lost son because he purposely rejects his father. In fact, the request for his inheritance, you know, in that day by law, you couldn't, score, you couldn't spend your father's inheritance until your father had passed away. So in effect, this young, younger son is saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I want to take it and I want to squander it on the things of this world. And he squanders it. But you have this other son who on the outside does everything right, seems to, by conventional moral standards, do everything the way that a good son is supposed to do and be. But where it truly matters on the inside is in the wrong in God's eyes and therefore is just as lost as his younger brother. And while this parable will always be and forever be good news to those who are the younger brother types, truthfully, we all come to faith as like the younger brother. But it is meant to challenge and persuade the hearts who have, for those who have come to be more like the elder sibling rather than the younger. What Jesus is saying is this, can you imagine a world, can you imagine a world that because of my father's love is filled with more grace than is sin? A world where mercy will triumph over judgment. A world where my father's joy, how joy fills my father's heart. When just one, when just one out of the billions of people on this planet, when just one of his lost children are found. But Jesus doesn't want us just to imagine it today. He doesn't want us to imagine such a world. He wants you and I to embody it. Can you embody that world? Can you live it? You know, what if we could do in 2021 what the elder brother was supposed to do but never did? What if we were the ones who went and found younger brothers and sisters who were lost and left in ruins and did whatever it took short of sin to bring them home? And even if they squandered all of their inheritance in the process, we would be still willing to bring them home even at our own expense. Because that's what the Father did and what our Father would do. How do I know? Because that is what God did for you and I through Jesus Christ. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Christ came to us not to just show us what the Father is like while he did exactly that. He came to embody the Father's heart for us. How do we reach prodigal sons in 2021? The answer is we need to be obviously like Christ. But to be like Christ is to, in effect, become like the Father. See, when you are the prodigal son or daughter in the story... This parable will call you to the Father's heart. But when you are the elder brother or sister in this story, the parable will call you to have the Father's heart. When you are the younger, you are called to the Father's heart. When you are the elder, you are called to have the Father's heart. And I, this morning, I see three ways in which Jesus, through this parable, calls us both to and to have the Father's heart. Number one, first, we see the Father's unending compassion for his lost children. You know, the beautiful thing about the word compassion is that compassion is more than just a feeling. You know, there's a difference between empathy and compassion. Yeah, compassion is a feeling of sympathy towards someone who is in a lesser circumstance, a less fortunate condition than you yourself is. But compassion is more than just a feeling. Did you know that? Compassion 
is more than a feeling, but it is about acting upon that feeling. It's about doing something about the way you feel. Luke 15, 17 to 20 says it this way. But when he came to himself, the younger brother, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know, the father sees him from a distance, which is meant to signify that the father was actively watching and looking for his son. And instead of feeling scorn and anger, and disappointment. I have to admit there are times when I feel that towards those that I disagree with, those whose values are different than my values, those who I don't understand what I understand. I, I have to admit and confess that at times I feel scorn and anger and disappointment and resentment, but the Father does not feel that towards those who have walked away from him. The Father feels what? He feels compassion. Verse 20 says, he saw him and he felt compassion. But that is a feeling. When you feel compassion, that is a feeling that must be acted upon or else it wouldn't be true compassion, would it? The father runs. He braces his son. He kisses him with a fatherly kiss. And I cannot help but think how the father's embrace speaks so much more than anything he could have said to his son in that moment. The Father's touch. Sometimes compassion is more about what we do than it is what we say. How many of you know that to be true? Here's what Henry Nouwen has to say. A wonderful writer and a wonderful man of God who lived a wonderful life. Here's what he said about compassion. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts. To enter into the places of pain. To share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Of course, we cannot say this without remembering the one who truly fully immersed himself into the condition of being fully human. Who was that? Jesus Christ. That when the sick called out to him, that he would, have, he would heal them. Why? It says because he had compassion on them. Mark's gospel says that when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion. He had compassion on them. Why? In his words, Jesus said, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And to you and I, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 36, you must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. You must be compassionate like that. Like the Father who runs to His Son. If you and I are going to reach the prodigal Son in 2021, it's going to require compassion that goes beyond our words. You know, you look at this social justice movement that's going on in our world, It seems to thrive on this idea of compassion. I believe that God is not calling us just to simply feel things towards others, to speak out. I believe that a Christ-like compassion goes beyond just speaking out against injustices and believes that I need to go and do something about that injustice. And how we do something is not by doing things our own version of what justice is, 
our own understanding what truth is. It's by, by living God's truth. It's by, it's by embodying the justice we see lay out in Scripture. It's embodying the Father's heart towards others. So we see the Father's heart is a heart of unending compassion. Secondly, I believe becoming like the Father requires having an unconditional love that is to be given towards others as freely as it was received. The most remarkable part I think about this story is that when the father, he runs to his son, he does more than just have compassion upon his son. He even does more than just forgive his son. But what he does is the father goes above and beyond what he is required to do, what he needs to do, by seeking to restore his son after he squandered away all of his inheritance into full standing back into his family. Luke 15, 21 to 24, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. You know, he dresses his son in the finest robe. The best robe, put it on him. That robe signifying royalty. Put it on his back. Put shoes on those scarred feet of his. Put a ring on his finger. And that ring very much would have possibly, probably contained the family seal, the seal of the father. Put it on his finger. 1 John 3, 1 says, See, the great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I love that word, lavish. See, the great love the Father has lavished upon you. The Father lavishes his Son with such ornamental dressing. The same way the Father has lavished his great love upon us. We are children of God. We are children of the Most High, not because we have earned it or we have deserved it. What qualifies us to be children is simply because the Father has loved us. And that is what we are. Can I get an amen to that this morning? I think that qualifies for an amen. See, many believe Jesus here is referencing an Old Testament passage in Zechariah 3, 4, as the father dresses his son, Zechariah 3, 4 says, The angel said to those standing before him, Take off those filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments upon you. And so the father, he invites all to come share in his love. Go kill the fattest of calves. Throw the party of the century and bring everyone who would come and share in it. Come, and it says they began to celebrate except for one, one person, the elder brother, the eldest son. It says he hears dancing and music, inquires of a servant, what's going on, gets the answer to what's happening. And it says in verse 25 that he came and he drew near to the house. He comes close, but he doesn't go all the way inside. Sadly, he isn't the only one who has ever come close, almost there to receiving the Father's love but never coming all the way. Jesus said, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven, they will will inherit the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying is that there are those who will say, do great works in my name, who will prophesy, who will heal, but I will say to you, depart from me, I don't know you. Why? 
Because you didn't do what my Father wills you to do. What does the Father will? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and to do what? To love your neighbor as yourself. The one who enters the Father's house is the one who has received the good news of the gospel. What is the gospel? I love the way Timothy Keller describes the gospel. He defines it as, the gospel is that I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. But at the same time, I am more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than I ever dared hope. And I believe the gospel, when we have received the gospel, it is our duty, it is the Father's will to live out the gospel towards one another. To see others, yes, is more sinful and flawed than you, than you ever dared hope, but they are also more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than they ever dared hope. The elder's sons, the eldest son's love for the father and also for his brother was not given in the same measure in which it was received. Meaning, in other words, his love was conditional. His love was conditional. He had established his love on his good merit and his morals. He said things like, Father, I've served you my entire life. Father, I've never once disobeyed any of your commands. Father, you know, I, I, why have you never done all this for me? I mean, haven't I earned the fattest calf, the party you are throwing for him? Isn't that the party I deserve to have? Isn't that what I'm supposed to receive? You know, the son was a good person by all conventional standards of morals and good merit, but he was not at home with his father. And there's something that happens in this parable that I think is quite amazing to see. See, the same father who ran to his son, and he says, let's, let's celebrate, let's party. He leaves the party. He just has found his, his lost son, but he loves his other son so much that he leaves the party that he is throwing for his lost son, and he goes and he finds his eldest son. And what does he do? He pleads with him to come inside. Would you come inside? Would you share in my celebration? You see, if we, if, because if we can't share in the celebration, the celebration that God gets to show mercy on whoever he wants to show mercy, that he can have compassion on whoever he wants to have compassion. If that doesn't fire you up, if that is not reason to celebrate, unless we can celebrate in that, it doesn't matter how close we get to the Father's house, we are not at home. And whether you see yourself today as the older or the younger sibling in the story today, God has one desire for you, and that is to bring you home how I believe we come inside our Father's house, how we celebrate in the Father's unconditional love is through forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiving our enemies. What a powerful testimony we saw today of Dan McNulty, who's one of our members here in Canada, who today, for the very first time, his children are hearing that story. Can you believe that? Wow, what a powerful testimony. He said it. If I don't forgive Others of, of the sins they commit against me. My father won't forgive my sins. I believe today that one of the most important steps that we need to take as a church is everything that's happened this past year and a half. That There are people here in this community, in the church, and you've seen things they've posted online. You've heard their opinions about what is true and what is not true. And regardless of whether you're right or wrong, true or false, all that, at some point we are all going to have to walk through a moment of repentance and forgiveness for one another. We won't be able to go forward 
And so we have stopped and built an altar of this moment. And I believe it is an altar that we need to build on an altar of forgiveness. Because it's true. There are people, there are people, you know, the virus, we, we've said enough about the virus. But, you know, the thing about taking someone off this earth, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, I mean, there's worse things that can happen to you than going home to the Father. But you know what's in an even more deadly virus? The enemy wants to spread a virus of unforgiveness, of bitterness, resentment, not towards the world, but each other, each other. God, Jesus says, the world will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. And this pandemic has not just driven us against the world is driven church against church, brothers and sisters against brothers and sisters, sons against fathers, and so on. You know, Jesus came to demonstrate the Father's unconditional love in forgiving sinners. He didn't see anyone as an enemy, even those who crucified him, those who drove nails into his hands. He didn't see them as his enemy. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're just innocent. They don't know. They're just ignorance. You know, if we don't forgive others, if we don't forgive, we're totally going to miss out on the party that God wants to throw for you and for me and for them. Which brings me to my third and final way this morning in this parable. We are called to and to call to have the Father's heart. And that is to share in the Father's joy. To have overwhelming joy. See, the very foundation of God's heart for his children, it's celebration. It's celebration. Jesus tells us that when he returns, his return will be accompanied by a great feast, by a great party. He will throw the raver of all ravers. It's going to be awesome. Because the very foundation of the gospel is not just a God who forgives, who heals, who reconciles, but a God who wants to give gifts to bless And say, all that I have, all that I have. Think of all that God has. Does he have a lot? Does he have a lot? I think he's got a lot. He's got a lot of love. He created the world, the universe, all his. All that I have, I want to share with you. Here's what Father says to his eldest son. Here's his response to what the eldest son says. Verse 31 to 32. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was dead, but by my love, I resurrected him. I raised him to life. He was lost, but is found. His father says to his son, all you have ever needed, all you could ever want is found in me. But this is not a moment that's about you. This is not your moment. This is about my heart towards my lost children. This is about a father and his lost son. Can you share the joy that I have? Can you celebrate? You know, when I go to Costco, here's a Costco illustration. Talk about a dad, Father's Day, you know? I spent a lot of time at Costco. I spent a lot of money there too. You know, and they ask me when you're checking out, you know, would you like to donate to Chio? You know, anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, yeah, throw $2 on my... $700 bill of groceries. Throw two bucks on. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah! Everyone's ah! You're like, oh my gosh. Imagine. 
Imagine what heaven sounds like when just one sinner repents. Imagine what it sounds like. Just take a moment. Just, just, if that's what Costco sounds like, imagine what heaven sounds like. See, the whole point of Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. They're all about God's heart towards the loss and the celebration that comes when the loss is found. Here's sort of the, the moral, the story, the lesson, verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. Even more joy than God had right now for us being back in church. More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If you think that it's a party when God's people worship, imagine what it's like when just one person comes home. If that is what Costco sounds like when you give $2 to Chio, and that is what heaven sounds like when one lost sinner repents and comes home, what then should the church sound like? What should the people of God sound like every time we gather? It should be a celebration. What's, what's it going to be? It's people, visitors, you know, come back. Is it going to be, you know, they need a, a gift when they leave? Or, you know, do they need to be, host, be hosted by friendly greeters? All those things are important. You want to know what's going to get the world fired up and believe what we believe? When they come and see a party thrown because of the good news of Jesus Christ, that when one lost sinner repents, this place goes crazy. What should the church sound like when one lost sinner comes home? You know, Jesus ends his story and doesn't say what happens to the other brother. He doesn't give us a conclusion. I think that's on purpose. The story just ends. We don't know. Does the younger, does the, does the elder son, does he come in inside? Does he repent? Does he stay outside? You know, the beautiful thing about the father's heart is whether he, he allows his younger children to take their inheritance and to squander it all away, but he also allows his elder children to choose whether or not they want to share in his heart, whether they want to share in his joy. See, whether, how we choose to come inside the father's house is by having compassion, by forgiveness, and by having joy that our father has for the lost. You know, I know because this was a parable for scribes and Pharisees, most probably walked away, went over their head, or they didn't care. Maybe there are some who had ears to hear. I don't know. All I know is that because you and I have and know the true and better elder brother, which is Jesus Christ, who calls us to, and he calls us to have the Father's heart, it means that the meaning of the story, the truth of the story, it lives in us. It doesn't matter what has happened this year, what year it is. It doesn't matter what is going on in the world. We have a job to do. Our mission stays the same. And it is to become like the Father so we can go and find and bring home the prodigal son in 2021. Just as Jesus did for you and for me. Let's pray. 
Oh, Father, today's Father's Day, which means there's going to be a lot of dads eating steak, going golfing, doing all sorts of dad-type things, building that dad bod. But God, today, we ultimately, this is a day to look upon you as our Father. God, and I know that Father's Day is not the easiest for everybody. I know today's a difficult day. I can't imagine how difficult it was for our brother Dan today as he shared that story so boldly. Can't imagine today is an easy day for him at all. There's many today like him for whatever reason. Today, God, we ask you to be a father to the fatherless. To show those without a father right now, whether literally or figuratively, the compassion the father has, the love and grace, and the joy that the father you share for your children. Today, we look upon Jesus Christ, our true and better elder brother in every sense of the way, who left heaven to come to earth to find the children who had lost and squandered all of their inheritance, had forsaken the image of God to come and to bring them back to the Father. And you did it at great expense. We had nothing to offer. We had squandered our whole, whole inheritance away. We couldn't pay for our salvation, even if we wanted to. Jesus, you paid it all. You paid the price. You gave it all. So that our lost, the Father's lost children could be found. So that those who were dead, dead to sin, could be made alive in Christ. And so now today, we look upon you, Jesus. You've called us to the Father's heart, but now we recognize our responsibility, our calling, and that is today that consequentially, we, for those of us who are no longer the younger in the story, but perhaps have become the elder, today we look upon Jesus, who has called us to have the Father's heart towards the younger's to embody the compassion and the forgiveness and the joy that the Father has for lost children. God, we need to be reminded today of our mission. This past year, and I think for good reason, we have been worried about so many things in our house. But God, now I believe it's time that we begin to look outside of our house. It's time to go and to run. It's time to embrace. It's time to, to just go the way that you called us to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus, you, you said, go. Get out. Go. Father, for whatever reason, if we live in a world that is far and far more likely that people aren't going to be coming here, help us to be a church who goes out there. Who goes out there to pay whatever it takes to see lost children come home. God, forgive us for not truly embodying the joy that you have for lost sinners coming home. God, forgive us that sometimes Costco employees have more joy when $2 is donated to Chio than when, when one lost sinner comes home. God, I pray that we would celebrate, throw a party, because we know in heaven, heaven rejoices so much when just one lost sinner comes home. Father, if, what it, if we spend the rest of our life and all we get from the fruit of our labor is just one, one soul, one child come home, it'll all be worth it. 
it'll all be worth it. But God, we know that you can do greater things than we could ever ask or imagine. And so today we want to ask and imagine what does it take for us to be a people who reach lost? Do abundantly more than we could ever, than we could ever ask. You are so powerful, God. You are so good. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.